Hello and welcome everyone to another fresh episode of Success Decoded, a podcast series focused on startups and entrepreneurship that looks to uncover the myths, facts, and secrets about the Indian startup ecosystem, one entrepreneur at a time. Today with us on this podcast is Ms. Runjan Nupur, an entrepreneur, speaker, and author of the best-selling book Nirvana in a Corporate Suit. Having written for over 10 years across a wide range of publications, she brings a wealth of experience onto the table, add to which she's also the co-founder of Eco Co-working and Creative Spaces. So, uh, ma'am, to start off, uh, could you just uh, tell our audiences a bit about your journey as in the growing up years and the childhood and how you took the plunge into entrepreneurship? Uh, hi, Manan. Thank you and the entire Startup Monk team for inviting me on this podcast. Uh, so, to um, answer your question, I was basically uh, I was basically a lawyer. I did my law from National Law School, uh, Nalsa in Hyderabad, yes, and uh, post that I joined a law firm. Um, worked there for barely a few months. The corporate world didn't really agree with me, mm-hmm. and uh, post that I shifted to. It was it was not really a conscious decision. I just just ended up uh, being at a startup which was mm-hmm. like one of the fastest growing tech startup in the country at that point of time. And uh, uh, it, the experience taught me a lot. It, it introduced me to introduced me to a whole new world of entrepreneurship, which was alien to me until mm. that point of time. And um, that that, as we say, startup ka kida. Mm. So once you are a startup junkie or forever a startup junkie, no, technically I would not say that I am like a hardcore um, startup person. I was more into. setting up a business and you know sort of running it was mm. more my inclination uh, uh, one of the one of the primary motivation of it was that i wanted to write in peace mm. and uh, as we all know writing is not per se a profitable venture in this country yeah. so i needed a backup of sort so from there um, my general interest in how startup uh, ecosystem worked in india slowly and steadily drove me towards you know setting up mm. my business i started out with a training venture Uh, we did a lot. I still do a lot of experiential training for corporates and academic institutions and whatnot. And uh, from the network that grew from that whole uh, uh, network uh, training uh, venture, eventually led me to setting up this co-working space mm-hmm. because co-working is generally a networking-based business. You know, you need a wide range of network to be able to. A set up a co-working space and B make it you know uh, uh, in terms of occupancy and in terms of generating business. So once I had uh, sufficient you know deep uh, access to a network in the city, hmm. I started Ecorc and I am very pleased to report that within eight months uh, we became cash flow positive hmm. and we have a very we have over eighty percent occupancy at this stage and it is almost entirely because of the preparation that went in before much before I set up this co-working space hmm. uh, in terms of networking and building relations and whatnot. Uh, so, ma'am, how important, as you uh, said about the networking part of things, so how important is networking in terms of you know uh, operating a business that is mostly into real estate? Because as we know, co-working is uh, a real estate kind of business. If you look at it like from a layman's perspective, so how important yeah. is to uh, network, you know, in your particular city or uh, wherever you are operating out of, so, uh, in order to you know just. gain a bit of attention about uh, all these startups that are springing up uh, every other day so how important is networking uh, as a component of your business yes so co-working is a real estate business i think that is one of the fundamental things that we need to get out there for everyone everyone who is either thinking of setting up a co-working because a lot of people are doing that these days and what not so what happened with we work as is now a common knowledge hmm. was that it set out to become a tech company when essentially their you know core business was a real estate based absolutely business. absolutely so co-working is a is a is a business to begin with before mm. it's a startup it's a business mm. and one has to approach it from a business point of view and for any small scale business you know from the from the nukadwala kirane ki dukan which mm. is like a mom and pop shop mm. to a bigger scale business network becomes fundamental because you need network at every stage you need network at the stage when you are setting up mm. the business in terms of you know real estate and space and what not then you need network when you are hiring a team or you know you are gathering people to execute your plan and then you need a network when you are finally promoting or you know uh, marketing your business and 
getting people on board and uh, getting interested in your idea so at every scale every uh, stage of this business right from the conception of the idea to the execution to the final marketing and sale of it you need network because a business like co-working entirely works on word of mouth Absolutely. there are giants out there there are people like reekers and inkers and you know and and, and mm-hmm. like and collab and what and the uh, works of the world who are backed by huge investors and they have a lot of money behind them so businesses like us who are just starting out with you know very little capital investment and you know no investor backing as of now we need all we have is word of mouth a publicity i mean the online media and the social media whatever goes to goes only to that extent so networking is essential networking is fundamental and i think my experience so far is irrespective of what business or what startup you are in one should invest in people and invest in networking hmm. uh, so ma'am uh, one question that i have had in mind uh, like since uh, the last time that i met you it was uh, yeah. you told me that you were you know uh, like in the law kind of thing and all so you yeah. also worked as a freelance uh, content specialist so yeah. why uh, why a co-working space because uh, since you have a law degree uh, so you could have you know even set out uh, to build out uh, you know your own uh, associate firm like uh, the law firm that is uh, so why did you choose co-working above all those other business propositions or ideas that you might have had <laughs> the obvious answer to this one is like you know i am not a good lawyer <laughs> or probably not good enough of a lawyer to set up a law firm of my own or whatever mm-hmm. um to be honest to be honest i did not really enjoy law that was the that was the beginning point of my uh, entire career trajectory that has mm-hmm. followed i enjoyed studying it so the academic side of it appealed to me but i did not enjoy the practical aspects of it and how it played out in a firm or in a practical setup so law was out of question for me at a very early point of time i did not want to get into practicing law or doing corporate law or something hmm. so um and and then i do content because i am a writer at heart writing is my core skill everybody has a core skill so writing is mine and that's the best i knew so at a point of time when i did not know what business i am setting up or where i'm going in life writing saved me so not just emotionally and metaphorically but also financially because as a content strategist i worked with a lot of brands uh, including you know airbus and a lot of startups mm-hmm. i do did content strategy for them i still do a lot of content strategy so that way that becomes my emotional and financial backup my writing Absolutely. but again content strategy being a content strategist was only scalable to a certain extent and i needed a scalable business idea and uh, as the economy or as the ecosystem so to speak is now co-working is one of the most scalable business ideas before the market gets saturated of course but at at this point in time in a city like lucknow co-working is an idea which is just coming up or at least it was when i started a year back so uh, it was more of a uh, was wasn't really a deliberate plan but more of how things led to it Uh, I had a I had a real estate that I could spare. I had some real estate that I I could spare. I had some capital, and I had a network. So all three of them came together, and I set up co-working mostly because it was a more scalable business, I guess. Okay. Uh, so uh, since you've worked across multiple domains over the years, what are some of the challenges you know in each field that you've stepped into? Uh, what are the challenges that you've faced, and how did you go about overcoming them? yeah irrespective of i mean in my but personal experience irrespective of whatever field i was in the fundamental challenge was always marketing or was always sales so if i'm writing a book i am struggling with selling that book to or reaching out to the relevant audience if i am setting up a co-working then again i'm struggling to you know sell it out to people and having have maximum occupancy if i'm doing content strategy once again you know who buys my skill becomes a question so wherever you go irrespective of what domain you look at marketing and sales is as of now or acquire acquire client acquisition or whatever you want to call it is the biggest challenge and uh, how to overcome it is something it depends yaar it e networking that's the fundamental i think mm-hmm. i think there is nothing more effective uh, in when it comes to comes to marketing than word of mouth and your own network and how deep a network you have Absolutely. but then there are certain things where even networking doesn't work for like selling a book requires a very different sort of an approach than say selling a co-working space mm-hmm. uh, so different different domains will have to require different skills and different sort of 
uh, people that you will need on your team and different approaches it's mostly uh, trial and error and i think as most of the experienced people across industries will agree if we could uh, nail or we if we could really tell you what works in sales and marketing then you know half our problems would be solved but we don't know we just do trial and error and you know try various strategies online offline and see what works absolutely Uh, ma'am one question that i have had personally because this is something that i have also faced like uh, how can introverts be uh, you know able to market themselves because uh, there is always a barrier as to uh, how introverts can open up and like even if you're talented uh, or maybe skilled enough to land up a decent enough uh, payout Uh, so how should uh, an introvert uh, entrepreneur or maybe a freelancer uh, be able to market themselves in order to establish uh, a positioning in the market so that's an excellent question manal and i think it's something that all of us have you know struggled with at some point so even i am i don't classify myself as like an outright extrovert i i i when i used to be an introvert and i have probably graduated to an ambivert now and that is more of a professional compulsion you know introversion is something that i would prefer but i can't of course because of the because of reasons so um uh, but but you look around and you see that some of the top leaders industry leaders across world or across vector sectors have been introverts so introversion is not really a handicap so much as something that you can um, you know you have to work around it at in certain circumstances so for me what has basically worked is finding my tribe so it just it just takes a little bit of effort to go out and talk to people but uh when once you start networking and once you start talking to people you realize that there are people out there who are you know willing to uh you know talk to you and are you know are kinder than your introvert itself would expect so it takes a little bit of effort that much work every introvert has to do to push themselves a little so uh but once you start pushing and you'll find your own networking style and it doesn't necessarily have to be you know an extroverted style it can sometimes be just you know just being there and saying a hello and smiling and slowly mingling and taking your own time Absolutely. and not really forcing yourself which is all okay which is which is all perfectly fine and then at the top of it your skill sets so uh, for for example for a content strategist it doesn't matter if you are an introvert or not if you work for a client and your client really likes to work they will come back to you Absolutely. and they will refer it refer you across board so i mean the answer to almost all of these challenges is you deliver excellent work and people are going to refer you around but uh, when it comes to networking introverts have a little bit of work to do but but everybody finds their style and that style doesn't necessarily have to be you know very very talkative and boisterous and all we just take a little more time than an extrovert do and i think it's okay we all should be allowed to develop our own style and we should be very kind on ourselves introversion should not be looked introversion should not be looked as a handicapped handicap of any sort it is just our quality and it works for writers like you and me it works you know it helps us write better absolutely uh, so ma'am in your early days as you mentioned you have worked alongside a lot of startups so right. as someone who's closely uh, seen the startup life uh, from close quarters uh, what are the things that you could you know gauge about uh, the world of startups as in uh, even the management part of thing or maybe the product uh, side of things so uh, what were your key learnings uh, you know in a startup culture what did you pick from there um i think my key learning would be one of one of them would primarily be there is no startup culture first to begin with you know to generalize it as a startup culture is a little problematic because every startup is different so i when i was with a tech startup uh, it was it was like a investor backed startup and they were they had big ideas and they were going big so they were the big leagues mm. so wahan the stakes were different the pressure was different because uh, you know because of course because of the stakes and because of the size of the team so 150 people strong team or whatever they were recruiting Absolutely. we started out with a barely a 20 25 people team when i joined and by the time i left we were 100 plus So it was a very fast growing very high stake startup the pressure was immense and the answerability and the accountability was immense and you know you you every day you knew that you were fighting impossible odds and there were people betting on you and what not so on the, and on the other hand i have also seen 
smaller startups which you know have not really given up their autonomy to an investor and they are working on you know like ours like ecorx co working is a boutique startup we don't have an we don't have an investor on board and we are not planning to get one for another year or so at least so we work at our own pace and uh, we have our own challenges of course so we are not investor backed so capital and all becomes an issue but uh, we have our own pace we our challenges are a little different but then we have our autonomy so there is no startup culture so to speak i think what is more important is to understand what business you are operating and what what is your skill set what area you are comfortable with what stakes you can handle sometimes rushing in on very high stakes can be dangerous sometimes you know not taking risks can be dangerous It's a very, very case by case sort of a thing. So it's very hard to generalize. It will depend on yeah. the context of you know the startup. Also, uh, ma'am, since you mentioned about uh, you know ceding control to uh, the investor or maybe some person who has a stake in your business, so do you think like uh, growing too fast like this uh, scalability of a startup, if it uh, starts now and within the next six months, as like? 150 million dollars in its bank so hmm. is uh, the scalability uh, like fast scalability a boon or a bane for someone you know who's just uh, starting out their venture see i am to be very honest manan i am on the conservative side on this i have always had at there was this mantra that i learned while i was with this i was with a startup in delhi that you know you should bootstrap for two years and i think that that rule has struck by me struck by me throughout you as a startup if you will you are just starting out i will be very 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 wary of uh, you know getting 150 million dollars in my bank i don't see it as a good thing i see it as something which is too good too soon and you wouldn't have the capability in terms of team in terms of mindset in terms of you know leadership abilities so many things can go wrong and when when they go wrong they take take a mental and physical toll on everybody and you know so many issues are created and you should take it slow but but as i said i am on the conservative side of it there might be people who are confident about their ideas and are happy to take that risk so to each his own but if you'll ask me i'll always say you should bootstrap for two years treat your startup as a small business or at least before you go on with a big idea start with a small idea run it as a small business see what challenges you face see what your strengths are what your weaknesses are and how quickly can you put together a team and what not so starting with a small idea even if it's a different idea than your big idea is always good because that gives you that lets you test the water and then you can obviously always rush run in rushing to the big leagues you always have time but i'd always say bootstrap for two years in some capacity and then you know go on with the big idea absolutely uh so ma'am as you uh, as i earlier mentioned in the introduction as well uh, you are an author to uh, nirvana in a corporate suit is like uh, selling uh, is among the best sellers so what what was the inspiration behind writing this book and what's the story like like uh, not to give out uh, what there in the book but uh, as in if you could just uh, provide a gist of uh, what's been the thought process behind writing this book Yeah, uh, so Nirvana in a corporate suit was essentially a product of my uh, trajectory between uh, my corporate, my life as a corporate lawyer at a law firm, and then as a startup junkie, and then eventually coming down to an entrepreneur, you know, getting my autonomy and whatnot. So along somewhere along the journey, there were some big existential questions about, you know, if you have money in the bank and you are still not happy, uh, what does that money mean? Which was how, which was how I felt when I had that big high-paying law firm job. and then i was working with a startup and you know there was not that big a money but i was really enjoying myself so there was no real correlation between how uh, the world around us defined success and how we felt so uh, the book was essentially my attempt to answer some questions about what is personal happiness and how do we find it as corporate even if you are in a corporate setting you shouldn't be condemned to unhappiness or you know if you are just chasing material well being then you should be able to find happiness in some a spiritual capacity as well so to to actually explore that intersection intersection between uh, how we felt and what we had was nirvana was born but nirvana is is a uh, is a book which is somewhere between fiction and non fiction so it is it is a self help book obviously it is a book about finding your happiness but it is woven as a story so it's a funny story because i have always believed that if you are laughing you learn better 
so this is a story about two guys one of them is a really funny um, ex rock star sort of a guy baba who is the mentor and the other one is a average corporate guy both of them set out on a quest to find happiness so lessons are there but there is also a very funny story and the inspiration and the thought process behind it was essentially just to uh, uh, you know just put out what i was learning along the way in a book and uh, try to answer the questions that i was have having and hopefully along the way answer some questions for the readers as well absolutely uh, so ma'am in terms of personal happiness what's your take on the competition that is running in the uh, millennial culture today uh, because really like even if i talk about myself and my colleagues as in the people mm-hmm. i see around myself so uh, we really uh, you know slow down and take a step back in in order to put things in perspective so yeah. how how is like uh, personal happiness uh, shaping up around uh, today's you know workaholic culture as you might call it yeah uh, so i think for all the all the bad reps that uh, millennials get i think millennials is one of the most aware generations of our times you know because uh, you we guys have you guys have moved up in the maslow's hierarchy and and are slowly moving towards answering more better questions about life and existence and what not so in a way millennials are all asking the right questions about what it means to be happy and you know what should i do what is the meaning of my life and purpose and what not which was something that was not happening at this scale in the previous generations at least to to the best of my understanding and and it was mostly because of the economic kind of economic scenarios they were in and the kind of pressures they were under uh millennials are under a different kind of pressures because their generation is hyper competitive as you said and a workaholic so now their happiness is being eaten into by entirely different factors than than the previous generation which was struggling with roti kapda makan sort of situation i mean i'm obviously talking about the uh, urban millennials the well off ones the higher skill ones so uh, the challenges i think i think the challenge today i think for the millennials is to as you said slow down and put things in perspective and probably ask themselves what is going wrong because everything is there they have all the means they have all the uh, i mean a lot of things around them are going right then why is it that at a personal level so much unhappiness so many issues are creeping in so something something is culturally going wrong with us something is very very wrong in the way we are living our lives because materially to sab theek hai for a for a large number of uh, millennials in the cities materially it's okay you are not struggling that much then why are you so unhappy so and and i think that was what is nirvana asks you to answer hmm. why are you so unhappy what, what is it if that car is not making you happy that relationship is not making you happy or that job is not making you happy then probably you need to take a step back and define what your happiness is because it may not be this it may be something else and you need to look for it and find it i think that is the core of the book also absolutely uh so ma'am in terms of uh, personal happiness like what is the process that one should follow because this is something uh, that i have also experienced in the like last few months or so because uh, i have kind of uh, felt burned out so uh, mm-hmm. what's the uh, key to you know dig deeper into your thought process and what's the whole process like so i think the reason why i'm burning out manan is it's like a paradox that we are stuck in so we are rushing through life very very fast because challenges and we are also sleepwalking because absolutely there is no conscious thought in that rushing you are just rushing so it's a blind rush and it's also equivalent to sleepwalking so those twin things are actually and then there is because you are not processing anything your emotions are all over the place and then there is no satisfaction deep down because again satisfaction is not material satisfaction always comes from within so uh, because you are not processing your emotions you not you are not experiencing any kind of satisfaction or contentment or whatever or and the success which is happening outside you are not feeling it the success mehsoos nahi ho rahi that's the fundamental problem there so um so what was your question again if you repeat uh, i wanted to know about the process as in uh, how should one go about finding their personal happiness in term like what uh, so yeah so the process ha huh? so, so the process is i have i have recently just broken it down and uh, because i when i was asked ki nirvana everybody kept asking me nirvana ka message you know we need in a single sentence so i just summarized it in a four step process so it's, the process is called dive the process is define hmm. invest believe 
and enjoy so the four step process this applies universally across board it can be about your happiness it can be your about your professional goals or something so you have to first define what your happiness is which is the most important part it may be a car and it's perfectly okay it is perfectly okay to have a material goal as your happiness but you should be sure that once you get that car you are going to be happy so because because once you are sure and you have 100% defined it then working towards it is more वोट इंस्टेड ऑफ जस्ट प्रिज्यूमिंग बिकॉज एवरीबडी साइज की सबके पास बड़ी गाड़ी है तो खुश हो जाते हैं दैट इज नॉट हाउ दिस शुड बी डन शुड सिट बैक थिंक कॉन्शियसली एंड डिफाइन यूर हैपीनेस देन इन्वेस्ट इन यू नो अक्वायरिंग इट और वर्किंग टूवर्ड्स इट सो दैट इन्वेस्टमेंट इज अगैन नॉट इन टर्म्स ऑफ मनी बट इन टर्म्स ऑफ द पीपल यू टॉक टू एंड द काइंड ऑफ वर्क यू डू एंड द काइंड ऑफ जॉब यू टेक अप एवरीथिंग सो दैट गेट्स रिफ्लेक्टेड इंटरकनेक्टेड यू हैव टू बिलीव B D I B E diet. So B is believe. You have to believe that you can be happy, which is like one of the fundamental problems with the millennial is that this there is this inherent cynicism that is creeping in as as a generation, and I don't blame them. The, the environment and everything around us is terrible these days. But there's an incredible cynicism when you talk to people. They say, you know, happiness kya hota hai? You know, you just live through life and. you will be surprised by the number of young people saying that it's just heartening you have to believe in your happiness you have to believe that happiness is your intrinsic state as human beings you were designed defined to designed by the universe to be happy unless you believe in that how will you find your happiness so that's believe and finally whatever you are doing irrespective of whether you achieve it or not you should enjoy it because if you are not having fun along the way and if it's not if it's sounding wrong I mean, that holds true for a love affair that holds true for a job that holds true for you know pursuing ambition anything that starts killing your joy anything that you are not enjoying hmm. is something that you should you know reconsider because that's like my perfect benchmark if you're not enjoying it you should reconsider and probably revise your strategy so that's that's your process diet define invest believe and then enjoy absolutely so uh, ma'am does spirituality also play play some kind of role in terms of you know finding your own personal happiness have you like over the years uh, has it contributed to your own journey as well everything is spirituality so the, so the, so my whole approach towards happiness is emerging from spirituality itself it's only that i'm i'm doing it in a language which is more practical and more uh, uh, understandable probably for the masses or for the for the younger generation but spirituality is the core of it finding your personal happiness he is a spiritual there is nothing beyond or above it there is no divine aura to the whole idea of spirituality spirituality essentially is a very practical way of living and the core of all spirituality or all spiritual practices even the ones even the babas who ran away to the cave hmm. and did their meditation what were they chasing ultimately they were trying to find some sort of happiness or some version of their bliss or happiness or anand or whatever you call it so chasing a personal happiness is spirituality so whoever out there is chasing their happiness in its purest form not because everybody says ki ye ye kar lo but if somebody has really invested in their happiness i think they have nailed spirituality that's all spirituality also uh, in terms of spirituality and the other things how much uh, of a role does uh, like the ancient indian practices that we have like read about or maybe heard about so mm-hmm. how much of a role does that play in spirituality as in uh, is it uh, because for the millennials out there or maybe for the current generation spirituality has been something that has you know picked up pace over the last few years only because mm-hmm. that's something which uh, the other entrepreneurs like the older generation has uh, vouched for like voraciously but uh, the, the younger generation is only waking up to it right now so what's your take on that i think i think the younger generation is waking up to that now because it's their time now abhi to aaya hai unka time so hmm. this is this is the time this is this is the time which is right for them to start looking for means to find happiness so if by ancient indian practices if you mean things like meditation and um meditation basically and uh, uh, yoga and what not see the the means will vary so there will uh, there will a lot there will always be people who will find pilates working better for them than yoga no mm-hmm. or people who find writing a more meditative experience than meditation itself so 
फिक्सेटिंग अवर मीन्स इज नॉट रियली रेलिवेंट हेयर इट द मीन्स कैन डी एनी थिंग इफ मेडिटेशन वर्क फॉर यू ग्रेट इफ समथिंग एल्स वर्क फॉर यू दैट इज ऑल्सो ग्रेट यू हैव टू फाइंड एट द एंड ऑफ द डे दैट दैट्स डिफाइन यू हैव टू डिफाइन वट इज वर्किंग फॉर यू फॉर विच सम एफर्ट गोल so you have to like try and test a lot of things the meditation or spiritual practices and all these things are very personal so there is no one shoe that that will fit all something that works for you might not work for me and uh, it's not like ki ek dawai sabko likh di hai wo sabko ek barabar ka kaam karegi that is not how this these things function which is also where millennials struggle so they they don't want to they have because they are in this short attention span fast moving culture now so they want quick fixes to everything Absolutely. unfortunately there is no quick fix for this you have to try and test a lot of stuff which may include ancient spiritual practices maybe ancient chinese practices who knows but whatever works whatever works give it a try my or my or i or always urge everybody around me in all my sessions is to just give it a try you know just keep trying see what works maybe reading works maybe meditation works maybe writing works maybe just spending time with family works whatever works okay. find it and then stick to it uh, it's even like uh, for the for the current generation like uh, they end up googling stuff and kyunki google is something that has uh, you know very generic answers to all yeah. questions so <laughs> that is also one culture that has been uh, you know springing up because aap kuch bhi jaake pad lete ho and if that doesn't work on you then you tend to lose heart over the problem yeah. that might be facing so yeah yeah google is turning an entire generation into hypochondriacs now <laughs> sab jaake google kar lete hain symptoms apne ki are mujhko to cancer hua hai nahi i think Google is great yeah again wohi wali baat ho ja rahi hai yahan pe i mean we keep coming back circling back to the same point problem google ki nahi hai google is great google is a great tool problem but google khuda nahi hai google is not god google is a tool you treat it as a tool and then you apply your own brain and be a little self aware about what you are doing and every everything else will you know fall in place i i find google very useful personally i think google can have a lot of answers but then you cannot treat it like you know end all and be all of it you have to and, and about losing heart that's where the belief part of it is coming that is why the entire generation is turning it turning cynical that is one part i that i find disheartening i i think i love the millennial culture as a whole because they are like really driven asking the right questions and you know and even their existential angst is so on point but the cynicism just worries me that cynicism has to go you have to believe you have to believe in happiness you have to believe in you know magic or universe or science or logic something something you have to believe in and i think everything else this works absolutely so ma'am uh, as someone who's trained a lot of individuals in leadership and uh, you know uh, consulting uh, a lot of people in terms of how to prepare them for being an entrepreneur or maybe even a leader in the next uh, like 45 years of their life or uh, whatever the time what is one quality that you believe uh, sets successful people apart from the crowd as in in terms of even the startups uh, that you might be working with what has been hmm. one quality or maybe one entrepreneur that has really stood out to you i think I, and this is that this is something scientists scientifically is also getting established its emotional intelligence yeah i mean the eq emotional quotient works brilliantly across board leaders with high eq are tuned in to their own happiness and are tuned in to the happiness of their team and a happy workplace or a happy uh, environment will always yield better results or at least when the setback comes they will be better equipped to you know handle that setback and move on so um, high eq a very very high eq is for today's leaders emotional quotient is fundamental we no longer can have uh, those stories about cold ceos which were used to be the thing in the past now before i don't know if it, it was true for you guys but back when we were very young there were these stories about ceos and who who were really cold and you know, who just wanted results and what not and their team was really scared of them i don't think that's a good culture and i don't think that works anymore you have to have a high eq to be a successful leader and successful in general like even in the case of steve jobs we have heard stories of how he would you know fire people in the elevator itself like traveling uh, to the office and in in between people would used to get fired and then after he was you know ousted from apple and when he returned like 10 to 15 years later he 
was completely changed man so yeah. that also is something uh, you know you need to develop like emotional uh, intelligence is something that you need to develop over a period of time because definitely and jobs are a very checkered trajectory if you look at it even as his personal thing and i think his brush with cancer and the fact that he got ousted from his own company there were like you there is no real i mean you can say that jobs was successful because he was harsh but then from if you look at it from other point of view he had a very troubled life Absolutely. and i don't know how many of us would want to live that sort of a checkered life and what are what is the cost you are paying for the success or all this up i mean if you so a high eq means you are successful and you are also happy so steve jobs se thoda kam bhi successful hue par usse zyada happy hue so i think it's a good deal no so i think i i i take that deal absolutely uh, so ma'am as uh, you clearly mentioned at the starting that you have also been a law student so how do you think uh, the five years at law school shaped you into the person that you are now like what what were the key things that you picked up from uh, law school with from the people around you from maybe even the teachers and how do you implement it uh, right now in your life and even in your venture i think one thing that law school does for you or any good humanities course will do for you is it will make you really um, aware of of the history and the sociology of the thing so we had courses we had history we had sociology i think more than law i think the humanities part of it has really stuck so when the so you get you become really aware of the world polity around you and when you form opinions they are coming from a place where you have actually read about that stuff absolutely. so sociology is not something somebody reads for pleasure anyway so it's unless you're forced to read it only then you you know you read all those big authors and and you know get form an opinion so that way it really broadens your horizon and gives you a sense of your place your culture your identity your history and what not and i think in the in the kind of environment that we live in where so many assumptions are made we've been made on whatsapp and so many misinformation has been spread that sort of education or that sort of background helps us all i mean anybody who has been through that sort of a rigorous curriculum will be will be grateful ki theek hai at least we know at least we have heard we 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 know where to find the right information or where this all is coming from how much of it is true how much of it is false what could not so that way law school has really helped me sociology ke terms mein otherwise i had i had a blast for 5 years so i i like as i said in the beginning only i like the academic part of law i just didn't like how it played out in the real world but i really enjoyed it and uh, the kind of friends we made or the kind of colleagues we had in law school other experiences it's very rigorous competitive sort of environment at law school so that also that that helped yeah that helped a lot uh, also ma'am in terms of uh, the college going uh, population that we have like who are aspiring to be uh, successful in life uh, what's been uh, you know one one thing that uh, Uh, the indian education system kind of uh, right now lacks uh, apart from the practical application of whatever they teach uh, what are the other things that, that you know uh, could improve in the longer run to ensure more well rounded uh, leaders or maybe well rounded professionals moving forward in the next 10 years or so i don't think we have any passion based education and i think that is my biggest grouch with the whole system our education system is very matlab uh, very same for the cat is a very cattle sheep sort of a situation mm-hmm. everybody is a cattle in this we herded like a cattle mm-hmm. and that's that's a very very problematic situation because different people are born with different skills and if you don't if you hone them at the right stage you know a lot of hard won later, later can be saved so for example i was good at english and what not and i still ended up preparing for engineering for a year before i quit it very wisely but um, matlab a couple of months more and i would have ended ended up at an engineering college and i don't know how my life would have turned out after that so um, that sort of that sort of you know skill based or talent based or passion based education is really missing at a school level we really need to identify what kids are good at what and probably give them a chance to at least hone those skills and work on them because right now the economy is very diverse or we you i mean you and i are the best example of saying we are we are working we are making money off writing which was like literally unheard of a couple of years ago so it's a gig based economy you have skill and if you get it out in the market and you are well trained then people are going to pay you for it the problem here is nobody is there is the system as such is not really supporting the kind of economy 
that we are, the gig-based economy that we are in. Absolutely. And we really need overhaul at that. Uh, so ma'am, as you said about the gig economy, so do you think like the future of work uh, across the globe is a decentralized workforce? Because in terms of uh, having a decentralized workforce, uh, one thing that also is a double-edged sword is uh, that uh, there's no accountability if, if your team is scattered all over the place. So there might be, you know, uh, like reservations regarding the accountability and how much uh, work uh, the person puts in in terms of whatever uh, that person is charging. So how how is uh, like a decentralized workforce uh, going to be uh, a, a, you know major change in the uh, professional setup? I think there are two parts to it. One is yes, decentralized. Uh, uh, economy is here to stay. We are going, we are slowly moving in that direction because uh, more and more people are asking for accountability of their time. So nobody, and there are more people who are saying, I want to work on my own time and that way I deliver better results and whatnot. So, yeah, so a gig based economy, but I'll never say we'll never transform into an entirely gig based economy. That's impossible. Because because the answer to it is in your the second part of your question. Ki there's no accountability, and how do you know uh, employer? How does employer know kitna kam kia? Why should I pay you this much? And all all mm-hmm. sorts of issues start creating. So uh, you cannot decentralize the economy because there are certain structures in terms of whether it's a corporate structure or a government structure or whatever structure. So those structures have to exist, and there will always be professionals who will be there in conventional slots to make those structures work. There's no, there's, there is nothing bad about it. Those structures are also essential. For example, a banking system will collapse. Your medical profession will collapse if you don't have a structured system. Absolutely. So you need a structured system. But yeah, we are moving towards uh, a decentralized economy in the sense that people will at least have an option of opting for gigs and not opting for those structures. Absolutely. It doesn't mean the structures will go away, but the option will slowly expand and I hope it expands because different people have different tastes. So I know of people who love working in structures. So, so they are most welcome to work in the structures and there are people who really hate organized structures. Absolutely. Those are the people for whom the life is getting slowly better. Absolutely. So, so ma'am, could you like uh, in in your own thought process uh, list out five uh, uh, like professions or maybe five uh, skills that are gonna you know, be impacted big time by the gig economy as in uh, what are the five uh, skill sets that, you know, you can be anywhere in the world and still make handsome amount of money? Anything that has creative element to it, so writing, content strategy and everything else is anyway right now a gig based thing and I think it will, it is set to expand. Uh, and that includes content generation, web content and online and offline both and strategy both. So that is a decentralized thing. The software development, coding etc. can be decentralized I think in a, to a certain extent, not entirely but to a certain extent. To the extent that creativity is involved in the software development process, I think that part of it can easily be done. All sorts of graphic designing and again creative. So anything that has any degree of creativity involved in it where the person needs to, you know, exercise their creative muscles can be decentralized. It can be, my brother is a YouTuber. He creates music for brands and companies. Mm. He does it, he does it a lot of times. He created music for Google's library, audio library from sitting here in Lucknow, in, sitting here in Lucknow. Mm. And he created it for the Google US office. Again, so that was a decentralized thing. He's a creative, he's creating music for them. Anything that you create, it can be a software, it can be a graphic design, it can be a content, it can be music. All of that can be decentralized. Uh, what will what can what be decentralized? Are essential services and services which are customer facing. So banking, medical, uh, a couple of I think bureaucratic functions. All of that cannot be decentralized Absolutely. and will never be. Absolutely. So, ma'am, do you think like uh, with the introduction of the gig economy, uh, like the creative people out there, like people like you and me, have uh, benefited uh, from this? Uh, the gig economy kind of thing that has emerged in the last few years as in uh, you know now you can be creative and also make money out of it so how has that been a positive change 
That has definitely improved, yeah. Then that has improved like very recently. When I was graduating, even like back in 2011, even then the whole idea of you know having a content strategist on board who, who you would pay because they are sitting outside your office, even when they are sitting outside your office, was literally unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And come 2012, 2013, and the thing, and I, or maybe I just got introduced to the startups. Uh, so yeah, so uh, so in the past seven eight years, the things have changed drastically, and for the first time. I I see actual content writers. You you go to LinkedIn. There are so many people who have content uh, content writer in their profile, okay. uh, which is a which is a heartening heartening change because that means writing is paying, which was hmm. something that I was told that does not happen in this country. You know, writing doesn't pay. It pays me. It pays it pays you. It pays a lot of other content strategists. I'm not saying it pays equivalent to other say other you know higher paying services, but at least pays. So from here things are set to improve only. um financially i would say we have a long way to go to be honest because uh, this is this is not uh, somehow maybe because it's a gig thing maybe because uh, content is always support function that holds true for other creative graphic designing and everything else too uh, abhi i think we have a long way to go in terms of uh, uh, getting like the right sort like right sort of financial paradigm for it but in terms of opportunities i think things have improved and fingers crossed they will improve further financially too Uh, so ma'am in terms of like uh, this is also one personal question that i have had like for a long time in my mind uh, so uh, how should one identify the kind of you know thing like uh, if i'm a content strategist so uh, how should i find uh, say like i open a youtube channel in the next 2 uh, 3 months so uh, how should i identify what kind of content i'm going to put out as in uh, what's the process uh, for people to identify what exactly they're good at because some people uh, have this uh, clear idea like a lot of youtubers that are bringing up right now the like they have they're good at comedy or maybe even fitness so for someone who's confused in terms of what types of content to put out uh, what's your uh, like uh, you know advice for them again two sides to it manan one is when you are a content when you are a youtuber or an instagrammer or something some someone who is like a visible content producer the strategy is very different and when you are a content strategist for say a startup or a company or you know just freelancing that's a very different thing to entirely different zones which require entirely different approaches so for a content strategist to be who is working with a startup or who is working with Um, uh, who, who or who aspires to do content web content strategy or offline online content strategy for companies? I think the best way to go about it is to start freelancing, start doing those smaller articles, which is which are which don't pay that much but give you a lot of experience of a range of content. You research on the internet, you write. You research on the internet, you write. And in the process, you really hone your skills. Uh, the other 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 way of doing it is you work at a smallish company, which is again may not be paying you that well, but it will at least tell you how to do a press release or how to write an interview on behalf of you know when the PR approaches how to write those uh, snippets and how to summarize the thoughts of someone else because then you are writing on behalf of someone else. Do a little bit of ghost writing and whatnot. That sharpens your skill. Um, and and that whole again that whole stream for video content and all sorts of content you either work for a company or you freelance extensively to first sharpen your skill and in the process you will know you will know what your niche is you will know whether you are uh, you are an you are an SEO specialist or that is what you enjoy then you can sharpen your skill in that direction or if you like the general content strategy of it or if you like social media posts better so that is something that you will identify along the way and all of this is a learned skill so इसके लिए कुछ भी extra effort नहीं लगेगा करते करते आ जाएगा यू नो इट्स लर्न स्किल सो दैट्स वन व्हेन यू आर एन इंस्टाग्रामर और अ यूट्यूबर और समबडी हु इज अ कंटेंट प्रोड्यूसर हु हैज अ फेस और एट लीस्ट हु हैज अ चैनल और हु हैज एन आउटलेट देन द स्ट्रेटजी बिकम्स वेरी डिफरेंट देयर फाइंडिंग अ नीश इज फंडामेंटल वहां तो देयर इज नो ट्रायल एंड एरर बिकॉज़ देन बिकॉज़ इट्स सच क्राउडेड स्पेस एंड इन एनी केस वी आर फाइंडिंग आई मीन फाइंडिंग एन ऑडियंस देयर इज सो हार्ड एंड अगेन देयर इज नो गारंटी आल्सो Uh, for all the big tall claims of uh, people making money off instagram and youtube uh, the uh, the space is so saturated at the moment and people are also flushing in money which is something that most people don't know uh, a lot of big instagrammers are flushing in a lot of money for that number so instead mm-hmm. of getting money off it they are putting money in so uh, there i think you are in more for a face and fame and brand 
then for money so there will be a long time before you are you will be able to make any money of these channels mm. that too if you can find the right niche and uh, and, and a lot of things have to go right for that thing to work that works great as a branding strategy you have a channel you have a face but money will always come from the background work that you do so if you have a youtube where you do a lot of uh, say fitness content but you may not have that many subscribers but you might get approached by a fitness company and say ki hamari content strategy kar do ya hamare liye saman bana do ya whatever hmm. and there you will earn money so ghoom phir ke at the end of the day as a content strategist the money is in the work that is not visible in the work that you do for companies and startups who really really need content all sorts of content and they also need content good content producers so that's where the money is do do instagram and youtube for branding not for money absolutely so ma'am what did your first job uh, like right out of law school teach you as in uh, what were the key points or maybe uh, what were the uh, key things about the corporate sector in particular that you picked up from there i <laughs> to be very honest i really did not like it you know i really hated my time at the law firm and i think it wasn't entirely law firm's function also law firm's fault also i was just not ready for it and uh, i was probably temperamentally not suited for that kind of work but the most important thing was i did not like the work and that is something which is fundamental you can deal with the long hours you can even deal with a bad boss once in a while hmm. but if you don't like your work your survival will become impossible so Absolutely. if you want to survive a, a corporate job or if you want to survive anything for that matter you have to you don't have to love it but you have to at least like what you are doing because so that's the first step and then you probably become good at it and you just uh, you know survive the grind so my one big learning was uh, be very be very specific and be very uh, particular about doing the work that you like because it's not a luxury that you are opting for now at this stage it is something that uh, that will that will determine whether or not you will survive this whole grind in the long run or whether you survive happily you a lot of people just sort of survive and are unhappy and have lots of issues so if you want to be happy and also survive it you have to like what you are doing absolutely uh, so ma'am do you think like in a corporate uh, structure that people work so a lot of times uh, they are unhappy so is it more about uh, like what the people would have to say Uh, that they are not able to follow their own uh, instincts and you know uh, do something that that they are passionate about so what's the uh, one uh, you know maybe one or two things or maybe uh, the reasons that people tend to pull off, pull back uh, from following their dreams they are corporates are i mean you know to be very harsh and honest corporates are not designed to make you happy you know corporate structure is by definition a little harsh not a little harsh it's very harsh it requires grueling hours even if you like the work the work hours are literally killing and people and the pressure is immense and overall you know that somehow it's not a structure that wants you to be happy to be very honest which is why they run in a corporate suit because it is so i i just realized that in in a corporate setting it's so so difficult to be happy it's not essentially a personal thing it's also a systemic and structural thing that people in corporate settings are unhappy chasing your dream dreams is again a different story altogether yeah if your dreams lie in a corporate ladder doesn't really mean that structure will spare you even then you will have to struggle for your day to day happiness and if it, if your dreams lie outside the corporate structure then to your life is anyway matlab i don't know how to how you are supposed to survive the whole grind and mm-hmm. unless you quit and you know set out and follow your dreams so basically the structure is harsh and that is something that everybody should know unequivocally before they enter into these uh, setups and i i then that holds true for most things startups high pressure startups are very hard these days even bureaucracy is extremely hard there is there is pressure but corporate structures in particular are extremely extremely um i don't know happiness sucking sort of places there you have to work extra hard to be happy there you have to like your work you also have to pay a lot of attention to your mental health you have to pay a lot of attention to your physical health uh, find time for yourself somehow and just you know find the small pockets where you can be happy and it's a daily struggle but if you you know you it's worth it you have to invest in it absolutely talking about corporate structures ma'am uh, what is the uh, you know hierarchy or maybe what is the process of work 
that you guys particularly at ecoc follow as an and also who are the co-founders of uh, ecoc apart from you so ecoc basically uh, was my brain child at an idea level the execution of it was pulled off my by my mother who is an okay. excellent manager she has been she is, she was in a government job for the longest period of time hmm. now she has retired and taken over the whole management side of ecoc so they are they are essentially as co-founders are just two of us I mostly do the business development and networking and you know ideation part of it and the expansion part of it. Uh, my mother handles the business development part of it. Oh, sorry, uh, the management, day-to-day management and execution and everything else is handled by her. So just two of us. We have us. We have a, a staff that handles pantry. We have a housekeeping staff. We don't have a manager yet, but because. Uh, size of the uh, size of the company did not need it but i do have a ca uh, who handles the whole uh, accounting of it so most of it is outsourced see one of this one of these things is because i as i said we are a bootstrap startup we are also a boutique business so we have kept our we have really trimmed uh, in terms of the staff and in terms of the team so i did not go i have not gone very ambitious about you know recruiting a huge team Absolutely. whatever work i cannot do i outsource so Absolutely. i have a ca i have a lawyer Sitting outside and any any sort of managerial things again, this is my CA has a CS who can handle it for us. So uh, for now, most of the work we do is outsourced and the rest of it we handle internally. As we expand, we'll probably open up for uh, managing management positions and whatnot. But the idea idea is to keep the expenses to the minimum. Uh-huh. So only the essential stuff. We only keep the essential stuff. Uh, so ma'am, how how has having your mother impacted uh, like? your day to day business life because uh, to have a parent that is supportive of your ambitions and uh, the ideas or maybe the thought process that you put out uh, how has she been your biggest critic as well as your biggest support in terms of uh, you know setting up uh, an entrepreneurial shop I think she has been my biggest strength in terms of pulling this whole thing off. Mm-hmm. I am essentially a very uh, I was I am I I come from a virtual business a tech business and a content business sort of a background. I do I have no background in terms of setting up a uh, and you know a business which is like in real time it is it is like a real estate business hmm. something that is tangible all of us tend to think of startups as ideas which are the work which work on apps and you know you just sort of sit on your laptop and the startup is all there so uh, it's very different when you have a when a, you have a whole property that is your startup then you have the approach becomes drastically different so in that sense my mother has not just been a support she is like the core strength of the whole uh, uh, whole you know enterprise minus her for me it would be very hard to run so that is also the lesson in it for me was to optimize on your strength and optimize on all the resources that you that you have i knew my mother uh, had she had some sort of an entrepreneurial background also she used to do her own smallish businesses back in the day so see she had a very keen management eye which we i knew that she can do it she can handle a staff she can do execution on ground events agar abhi we whatever events and all ecor hosts she is the one who is hosting them by default and you know managing everything so uh, optimizing on her strength and you know bringing on her bringing her on board has been one of the best decisions because otherwise i'll have to get someone else to do it so between two co-founders one is an idea person the other one is an execution person that's the ideal co-founder combination and i am very lucky to have found it you know at my home itself absolutely because if you go out having some person who you know in terms of uh being a co-founder or even supporting you in uh, in your dreams is charging a, a payout uh, in terms of yeah. you know so this also kind of helps because yeah. uh, one thing is that it's closer to home also the second thing that uh, where you lack uh, the person who in, in the family uh, they can even take over that part of thing Yeah, it's it's a very rare thing to have. Also, I would I I must add because uh, I, I think uh, finding co-founder is one of the big big uh, startup challenges that you know we mm. tend to talk about. To be able to find someone in the family itself is has for me personally been a big blessing. Absolutely. Uh, so, ma'am, apart from your mother, of course, five uh, other women, uh, you know, across maybe the professional field or maybe even your in your personal life. Uh, who have contributed to making you a more happier and a content human being in terms of you know you're satisfied with where you are at currently in your life uh, five women who have contributed to that uh, like that pro- process 
see the problem with weaver was way they tried to uh, grow too fast i mean they were too good too soon was one situation other one was their own inherent arrogance in not recognizing themselves for who they were which was a real estate company and wanted to be a tech company with no real you know idea basis to back it mm. so those are the two things that all co working should anyway co working uh, startup should anyway avoid to remember who you are and you are essentially a part hospitality part uh, you know real estate business and that's who you are and that's who that's what all successful co workings are always going to be so when you bring in an element of hospitality and when you bring in an element of real estate a lot of personal touch goes into it you can set up big offices and what not um there are only two ways to fit in a co-working business either you set up really huge offices uh, backed by you know a lot of money and whatever and and just hope and just fill them up because offices hmm. are always required and they are you know default corporate offices but if you are a smaller enterprise differentiated would be the personal touch because it is a hospitality industry at the end of the day Absolutely. so what differentiator do you bring in how do you cater to the specific needs of the people in your city or in your locality what is it that you can provide that others cannot how uh, you know personalized the services are what sort of are you serving food what kind of food are you serving how is your staff is it warm is it friendly what sort of comments you are opting for what sort of uh, you know where on the eco consciousness scale does your office uh, uh, you know figure space figure all of those things little little things matter you know at the end of the day personalization matters and uh, you know attention to details you cannot just keep setting up spaces by the number in this hope to god ki sab bhar jayenge the competition is fair then within a year the space is going to be saturated absolutely uh so talking about the saturation uh, what is like on a parting note ma'am what are the plans and ambitions uh, that you have for uh, growing ecoc into like in the next one year or so what what is the roadmap ahead for uh, your venture um so far we are not even a year old we complete a year in december mm. and uh, we are very happy with the kind of occupancy and all that we have so we are currently we are just enjoying what we are we are we are just sort of perfecting our services and every day a new addition is happening in our space and new services are being added so that's one we have expansion plans we plan to set up another unit within lucknow itself within hopefully next 6 to 7 months and uh, give it the same sort of a touch that we have given to ecorp which is warm friendly personalized and eco conscious sort of a space so in the near future that's it we only want to expand we don't want to be too ambitious i am anyway against it and we are anyway planning to bootstrap for at least another year um, another year and a half you know so for now we will we'll be simply dipping into the capital that we have uh, and uh, the kind of running capital that we can create from our existing spaces and uh, maybe create a unit soon and you know just give the best services uh, ecorp is a boutique uh, business and it is very proud of being a small cozy uh, sort of a brand that people can rely on Absolutely. and we just hope to stick to that as well Thank you so much ma'am thank you so much for taking out your precious time and for being on the podcast sharing your journey with our fellow entrepreneurs i hope the podcast was as enjoyable as it was for me for the audiences and until next time this is team startup monk signing off